Romans chapter 7, verse 14 is where we're going to begin, okay? Are you ready? For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh. I serve the law of sin. Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit's interpretation, revelation, opening of our minds and hearts to show us your truth, to show us your glory, to help us to understand the war that wages within us. Father, we pray for your grace to give us your word and to give us power to obey it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, just to get you back into speed in the book of Romans, Romans 6, what was it all about? It was all about our union to Jesus Christ. Remember, being joined to his death, his burial, his resurrection, right? That's what a, a believer is. A believer is, when, when, when a believer turns away from sin, puts their faith in Christ, they are connected Connected in a vital union with Jesus Christ. They're tethered to Jesus. Joined to his death, his burial, his resurrection. That's for us. We're joined to it. Okay? And so because of that, Romans 6 told us, all right, in living out the Christian life, you got to, number one, you got to know those things. Okay? you got to know what Christ has done for you. you got to know that you're in Christ, that you're joined to him. And then you got to consider those things to be true. The word consider is a word that means appropriate. In other words, live like it's true. Live like what the Bible is saying. Live like that's true, that you're seated in the heavenly places. You're joined to Jesus Christ. And then finally, present. There were three key words in Romans 6. Know, consider, present. Present your, your, your hands, your eyes, your mouth, your words, your mind, your body, your steps. Present that to God as instruments of righteousness. Live out what he's trying to put in you, okay? So that was Romans 6. Now, we hit Romans 7, and man, it's like we stepped into a, a war, okay? A battlefield, a conflict zone. And there's, there's a big interpretive question. If you're a small group leader, uh, Michelle did a great job this week of emailing you early in the week. Um, uh, three links to three different views on this passage, okay? Because there are various interpretive views, okay? 
And let me talk about that, and I'll tell you what I believe, and I'll give you the reasons why I believe it, okay? So here's the big interpretive question. Is Paul talking about, okay? So when, when he says this in verse 15, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Is Paul talking about himself right now? Like when he writes this, okay? You see, a lot of people struggle with that. Because Paul's a spiritual giant, isn't he? I mean, he's wrote 13 books in the New Testament. He plants churches all over the known world. Man, he's been caught up to the third heaven. Is that guy, that guy right now saying, verse 19, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing? Is that Paul saying that in his present state? And so some people say it's not. They say it's, it's, he's, not, he's not saying that. He's talking about before he became a Christian. So he's, he's looking back to pre-conversion. And he's talking about when he, when he was trying to live according to the law, okay, which the first part of this chapter is about the law. He's talking about when he was trying to be good enough, you know, without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, without the gospel. So some people say it's, he's writing in his present state. Some people say, no, 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 he's talking about before he was a Christian. Other people say, well, he's talking about when he's a brand new Christian. So, so he gets saved. But, but now he's, he's reflecting back on, he, he got saved, and now all of a sudden he's trying to live the Christian life, but he's still trying to live it by the law, by God's rules, by his own strength, and not by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you got some guys like Lloyd-Jones who says, now nah, you're all missing the picture. It's not, you know, don't, don't worry about what, you know, don't worry about who this is talking or when, he, when he's talking. The whole thing's simply about a guy who sees the complete hopelessness of salvation by the law, which actually Lloyd-Jones is, Right, that's the main point, and everybody actually says that's the main point, okay? Now, what do I believe? I believe he is talking about his present state as a believer. So, in other words, when, when verse 15, when you read it, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I think, I think Paul's talking about right now. I think he's writing to the Romans, and he's saying, man, let me tell you about my Christian life. I keep doing things that I don't want to do. And, and, and when I want to do something right, man, I'll... I'll turn around and blow it. I, I think Paul's writing right then, okay? Now, why do I believe that? Okay, let me give you a list of reasons why I believe that. And by the way, like, I'm not just pulling this out of the air. Um, Charles Spurgeon believes it, John MacArthur, John Piper, Augustine, Calvin. So, all right, I, I just, what I'm doing is dropping names so that you know that I'm not just off on a wild card here, okay? Why? Well, number one, it's a natural reading of the text, Okay, if you're just reading through the book of Romans, why would you think he's talking about any other time, right? Like, like when you read that, he doesn't say, hold on, let me tell you a story about before I was a Christian. He didn't say that, you know? Or he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to give you a hypothetical guy. No, I mean, he's saying, me, I don't understand my own actions, right? He's talking about right now. So, so really, when you read through it, it's the natural reading of the text. Now, are there times where you kind of go against the natural reading of the text? Yeah, there are. Um. I've got several groups now going through Hebrews in, in my morning groups. And we just, several times, we just went through Hebrews 6. And when we go through Hebrews 6, I'm like, all right, hold on, guys. I know it sounds like, when you just read this, it sounds like this is a guy who is a Christian and he loses his salvation and now he can't ever get it back. But I don't think that's what it really means. Well, you're like, well, why can you do that in Hebrews 6? In Hebrews 7, you're like, well, you ought to obey the natural flow of the text. You know, well, let me tell you why. Because in Hebrews 6, the, the five chapters before that have one incredibly plain theme. It's about people who claim to be believers, but they're not really believers. And so when, they get, when, they get, when things get hard and tough, they bail out on the faith. 
And so when you read Hebrews 6, you have to read it with the five chapters before in mind, okay? In other words, the context demands a different interpretation in Hebrews 6. Okay, when you read Hebrews 7, there's nothing like that here, okay? So it's a natural reading of the passage. Number two, reason why I believe this is Paul talking. The elements of loving God's law and hating sin and serving God in your inner person do not describe a lost person, okay? So when, when you read Paul talking about, man, I do the things that I, uh, I hate, okay, he's talking about sin. Does a lost man hate sin? No, I did not. Did I hate getting caught when I sinned? Yes. Did I hate um, the consequences of sin? Absolutely. Did I hate sin? Did, when I sinned, was there a misery that settled in on me that I could not get off of me? That just, just pressed down like a weight? No. No. Man, I cruised in sin at 30,000 feet, you know. So I don't think that describes a lost person. That's definitely in this passage. Three, number three. There is a sense in which born-again believers naturally identify with what Paul is talking about here. Okay? In other words, I don't think this is a big problem for most born-again believers because when they read, I, I, it was interesting, I was kind of peeking up in the first service though, when I read through this passage, and there was a lady going, you know, when I, when I got to, uh, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do do not want is what I keep on doing. I looked, and there was somebody going like this, you know? It's like, and, and, and really, that's the experience of Romans chapter 7. I mean, most, most Christians, when they read it, they're like, man, I know what he's talking about there. You know, in fact, I bet you, there's some of you who had this experience this week, you know? I mean, you, you, you've, been, you've been fighting your temper, maybe, or fighting bitterness, or fighting anger, and you're like, you resolved, okay, I'm going to do better this week, and, you know, I'm not going to get mad, you know, and then you got in a situation at work, and man, someone just cut you down, or was critical, or whatever, and, and before you knew it, you'd blown it, and you walked away going, why do I do what I don't want to do, you know? Or, or, or maybe, maybe this week you, you, uh, you, you, you decide to be content. You're, you're really working on contentment, not grumbling. And then, you know, man, the flat tire on the car and then a flat tire on the bicycle and flat tire on the bus you got on, you know, and you're like, ah, you know, and, and you grumble and you spew that all over everybody. And then afterward, you're, you're going home and you're like, man, why do I do that? Why do I do that? Why do I, why do I complain? Why am I such a malcontent, right? Or, or maybe, maybe you want to be bold. You want to be obedient. Last week's sermon on the glory of God. You're like, you know what? This week, I'm going to do all for the glory of God. You know, I'm going to be bold at work for the glory of God. And you got there and you got to the break room and you even had in mind what you're going to say. And all the guys were kind of boisterous and you had this kind of feeling come over you of fear and you didn't say a word. Nothing. Couldn't even get anything out. And you walked away being like, why? 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 Maybe, maybe you want to be pure. You want to be pure heart. And maybe you've had victory in that for a long time. But then one day, just out of nowhere, you're weak and you're fatigued and in a moment of, of just whatever, being far from God, you find yourself looking at something you, you didn't want to look at. And then you walk away saying, why? Why do I do the things I don't want to do? And so I, I guess what I'm saying is, what I see in Christians is, People resonating with Romans chapter 7. I, 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 don't, I hardly ever find Christians who read Romans 7 and are like, what in the world is that guy talking about, you know? I always do exactly what I want to do, you know, in Christ. I always have nothing but spiritual desires, and I fulfill them, and I never have any trouble, you know? I, I, that's the person I don't find very often, okay? Final reason that I believe that Paul is talking as a spiritual, mature Christian 
is because I find these same elements in other places in the Bible, okay? Let me show you another place. So turn to Galatians. So Galatians chapter 5 uh, is a great passage to look at here. Okay, Galatians 5, 16. Let me start reading here. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Stop right there. Now see, this is an example of a, of a passage where we're not confused at all who Paul is talking about, okay? Now, why are we not confused? Walk by the Spirit. Who has the Holy Spirit? Only believers, only believers. Thank you, brother. I hope you do. Only believers, okay? And that guy right there, only believers. That's all who has the Holy Spirit, okay? There aren't any unbelievers who have the Holy Spirit, so we're not confused about this, okay? This is talking about a born-again believer who has the Holy Spirit, and so Paul says here, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh oh where'd that come from well this person who has the holy spirit and is being commanded by paul to walk by the holy spirit he's got to be careful of what the desires of the flesh because they're there too okay look at verse 17 for the desires of the flesh are against conflict war right here against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh these are opposed to each other listen to this to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Isn't that exactly what Paul said in Romans 7? You know, I do what I don't want to do, and I keep doing what I, what I, what I didn't want to do. Right? He, he says they keep you from doing the things you want. And then to add to that even more, verse 18, the next verse says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. How does Romans 7 start out? It starts out talking about the law and not being under the law, but you're under grace. And so the exact same elements are in Galatians 5 that are in Romans 7, and there's no confusion about who Paul's talking about in Galatians 5. So those are my reasons that I believe Paul is talking about a mature believer uh, himself right now when he writes Romans. This is his experience of the Christian life. Now, let's, let's break apart what Paul is saying here, okay? The first thing he's saying is there's a conflict inside of him, okay? There's a war going on inside the Apostle Paul. Who, 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 who's warring inside Apostle Paul? Well, number one, his inner being, okay, his inner being, what, what, what is that? Okay, let's, let's read them. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God, where? In my inner being, okay? Go ahead and read uh, verse 23. He says it again, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, okay? Paul's using inner being to be the same thing as the law of my mind, all right? What is he talking about here? He's talking about the new nature, the new self. Whenever you're born again, Whenever you put your faith in Jesus Christ, well, let's back up. Before you're born again, okay? When you're, when, you're, when you're not a Christian, guess what? Things are dead on the inside. Crickets, okay? Nothing's happening. Paul says you were dead in your trespasses, in your sins. You couldn't relate to God. You didn't value things of God. You're, you're spiritually dead, all right? Now, what happens when a person repents of their sin and puts their faith in Jesus Christ? Man, the lights come on. Power comes on. The engine started. Okay, something inside of you comes alive. Okay? Paul says you were made alive. Now all of a sudden there's something running. There's something alive inside of you. It's the new man. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 24, I think it is. Verse 22 says, put off your old self. Verse 24 says, put on the new self. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. Right? Here's a new creation. You're a new self. There, there's the inner man, all right? The, 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 the spirit inside of you. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. 14 says, the natural person, that's the person who hasn't become a Christian yet. And what about them? Does not accept the things of the spirit of God. 
Why? Because they're foolishness to him. They're folly to him. Man, I can remember this being true of me. I started going to church when I was about eight years old. My dad had gotten saved when he was 28. And so I started learning all the Bible stories. I started uh, answering all the questions. I picked it up pretty quick. Okay, I, I knew those answers. They were not valuable to me. They were like folly. I, I didn't make fun of them or anything. They were just like, ah, going to church. I know this, you know. Jesus, that's the answer. Glory to God, that's the answer, right? You know, I just gave the answers. But, but it, wasn't, it wasn't priceless to me. And now, verse 15, 1 Corinthians 2, 15, the spiritual person judges all things. He's able to appraise all things, okay? Now, all of a sudden, when, when I became a born-again believer, now, now I valued the things of God, okay? The new man hates sin. That's in verse 15. I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I, I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse 16, he says, We don't lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Okay? So, first element, what does Paul say is inside of him? This new man, this inner man, this law of his mind, this uh, new creation, this spirit. All right? However you want to say it, it's what God puts in a believer when they get saved. Okay? Now, what else is there, though? Because there's something else there that's warring against what God has put there. And that's, that's the sin that dwells within me. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, so, no longer, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He says this several times. He says it again in verse 20. And if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. What's he talking about? He's talking about the flesh. Okay, back up in... Uh, where is that? Um, he says it somewhere. The flesh. I'm wasting time. It's in there. Read it. Okay. So, it's in Galatians 5. I just read you that one. What else is in you besides what God has made new? It's your, it's your old nature. That old, unredeemed humanness. That flesh. That propensity to sin. That inclination to sin. Hey, do I have to convince you that that's there? I don't think I do, right? Like, like, are you prone to get angry when someone hurts you? Yeah. Yeah, it's already there. You didn't learn that. You don't have to, you don't have to go to school for that. Anger 101, how to be angry when someone hurt. No, you didn't have to do that. It's already there. Are you, are you prone to be selfish? Yes, you are. Okay, where is, where is that? That, that isn't in the Holy Spirit that God put in you. That's not the new nature that God put in you. He, he put in you the, the, the spirit of Jesus, okay? So where is that? That's the old, unredeemed, broken you that you got from Adam. Remember that in Romans 5? Okay, that's the old flesh. All right, so these two are both inside of a believer. They're not both inside of an unbeliever. Inside of an unbeliever, what is there? Just the old, unredeemed humanness, Right? Man, an unbeliever, he can be selfish and feel great about it. Like, he really can. Like, feel completely justified. He can be mean and unforgiving forever and feel like, man, I, I'm right. A believer can't do that. Because a believer's got something else inside of him that battles against that flesh. So, what is the result of that? The result of that is this spiritual conflict, this I don't do the good I want, the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Okay, that, that's, that's what's inside of a believer because of this 
conflict. Now, what I'm afraid will happen with a sermon like this, this is what kind of troubled me so much in preparing for this this week, is this is one of those sermons where you could like take something I say and then you could immediately exit the interstate, okay? You, you, I heard him say this, I'm going off, you know, and that's all I needed to know, right? And then later you'll put on Facebook, Pastor Jason says, even the Apostle Paul sinned and it's okay, you know? And then I'm going to have to get on there and say, no, you know, you weren't listening, okay? So this is one of those sermons that's easy to do that. And so what I need to do is, if you'll let me, I just want to, if you'll, you have to let me, but you don't have to listen, but I want you to listen, all right? If you'll listen for just a little bit, let me back up and give you some basic principles that we need to keep in line as we think about this war within us, okay? Principle number one. A believer is not sinless and perfect. Okay, I don't, I don't think I need to argue greatly for this because I think you already all know that. But, but let me just show you that that is a scriptural principle. In 1 John chapter 1, 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Okay? That's true of everybody. Okay? You see, that, that's where people go wrong with this passage. When they read Romans 7, they're like, Yeah, but it's Paul that's talking. But Paul, would Paul say, Wretched man that I am, who will, who will save me from this body? Yeah, he would. Why? Because Paul was still a sinner, okay? Let, let's go ahead. Can we take one more step? I, I don't want to, but I think we should. Is a believer capable of terrible sin? As if it's wise to rank sins. I don't think it is. But, but just even thinking about that, is a believer capable of terrible sin? Man, I tell you what, if you don't think you are, you're in trouble. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says this. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, Okay? That old, unredeemed humanness is inside of you. Look at verse 21. Romans 7, 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies where? Where does evil lie? You know what a lot of people in Oklahoma think? Evil lies on the West Coast and the East Coast, but there's none here in the middle, okay? There's not any close to us. Let me tell you the truth. You know how close it is? It is inside of you. That's what Paul is trying to say. This unredeemed humanness, this propensity to sin, to be selfish, to blow your life, that's in you. Now the good news is the Holy Spirit's in you too. And Jesus made you new. And the new nature's in you. Okay, all that is true. But I, but I want you to embrace, we're sinners. We've got the old nature. We're capable of terrible sin. All right, now... We, as we said those two, now we need to balance that out, okay? Because here's where some of you are going to take that. You're going to get off the interstate, and, and I don't want that. Stay on here for this one. Are you ready? Having said that, it's also true that a believer will not live in habitual, continual sin, okay? Okay? You, you hear that? A believer won't stay in sin. He will not stay in sin. First John chapter 3, we've been over this again and again. It's one of the passages we come back to again and again. First John 3, verse 6, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed is in him. That, that's what we're talking about in the inner man. That's what Paul is saying is in me, is, is God's seed, God's spirit, the new nature. And because of that, he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. 1 John 3, 9. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. And and so when when, when the word of God hits a believer, he's convicted. A believer won't just stay in sin. 
Does a believer sin? Yes. Is he capable of terrible sin? Unfortunately, yes. Will he stay there? No, no, and never. Why? Because the Spirit of God will be all over him. He will be in misery, okay? God's heavy hand will be pressing upon him, and he will not be able to live a lifestyle of sin. He cannot. There'll be progress in his spiritual life. But listen, none of that happens without a fierce battle. That make sense? It doesn't happen automatically. Okay, so if you're here this morning and you're like, well, I really sinned last night. You know, I really blew it. But what Pastor Jason says, I won't stay in there. I won't stay in sin. So I'm just going to coast and he'll get me out. God will get me out. Well, if you're a believer, he will. But let me tell you this, not without battle. Not without this fierce conflict. Okay, so that's true. One more thing that we need to just build some fences around this is this. The closer you get to God, the more you see your imperfections of the flesh. Right? See, see, that's where a lot of people have trouble with this passage is they'll, they'll read verse 24 and they'll be like, is, is the apostle Paul, the guy that was caught up to the third heaven, the guy that was stoned outside the city and he gets up and goes right back in to share the gospel? Is that guy saying... Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Yeah, I think he is. Now, now why, why am I so confident about that? Well, listen to what else Paul said, okay, in other places, completely unrelated places. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. You hear what Paul said? Man, I'm the least of all the apostles, and it's only by the grace of God that I am what I am. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. He goes further. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... Okay, he starts out saying, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the, I'm the worst one. And now he says, I'm the worst of all believers. I'm the least of all the saints. Now go to 1 Timothy 1.15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am. King James, I like it better. The chief. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst one. ESV says, I'm the foremost. I'm first in line when it comes to sinners. Now, now, why is Paul talking that way? Is he talking that way because literally he does more sin than you do? You know, is, 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 that, is that what he's saying? I, I actually don't think that's what he's saying. Here's what I think is true. The closer you are to God, the more you see your sin. And the more you see, the more you see this old, unredeemed, the, the more you hate it the more you can't stand for sin to dwell in you, the more you want to get away from it. Let me tell you what, if, if, you, if you walked in here today and you looked around and you saw five people worse than you and you were like, man, this church is so lucky to have me, you know? When the plate came by, you took some money out because you're like, these folks ought to be paying me for being here, you know? Here's what's true of you. You are not close to God. You know, how can you say that? Well, because of what you just said, okay? If, you, if, you're, if your mindset is, man, I'm awesome, everybody else is less than me, 
You're not very close to God because the closer you get to God, the more you begin talking like the Apostle Paul, the more you see your sin, the more you can't stand your sin, and the more you fight against your sin. Okay? See, here's the beauty of Romans chapter 7. You ought to be battling your sin. Are you perfect? No. Ought you to be battling your sin? Absolutely. You ought to be in the thick of it. Look at verse 17. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. A lot of people have a problem with that verse. Because you know what it almost sounds like? It almost sounds like Paul is like the toddler. He's like the four-year-old. He's like, you know, when he breaks the cookie jar, he's like, it wasn't me. It was my imaginary friend, Timmy. You know, that's who did it, you know, for real. It wasn't me, you know. I mean, it almost sounds like he's doing that. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think what he's saying is there is this unredeemed humanness in me that keeps eating my lunch. It keeps, it keeps raising its ugly head in my life. Whenever I see it, I hate it, and I point it out. That's, that's my flesh. That's ugly. Man, can you imagine if people did that? Wouldn't that be cool? You know? You're like in a conversation, and somebody spouts off this prideful, arrogant thing, and then immediately they're like, all right, guys, that was my flesh. That was my unredeemed humanness. That was my wicked self playing itself out in my members. That'd probably be helpful, wouldn't it? So many times we don't admit that, do we? We're like, yeah, I should have said what I said. I deserve saying it, you know? No, call it what it is. It's the wickedness that remains in you. That's what it is. You need to fight against it. I think when Paul says in verse 24, isn't it? Who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, you know what I think he's saying there? I think he's saying, man, I am so ready to get rid of this body. Why does he, why is he, why, does he want to die? I don't think he wants to die. But I think what he's saying is, I can't wait to get rid of this. Why? Because I'll be free from sin. I, I don't think he's worried about his bunions, you know, on his feet. And I'm like, man, I can't wait to get new feet so they won't hurt. You know, I, I think he's, he's saying, God, I can't wait to be rid of sin in me. All right. Two big things we got to get to. So these are the important things. So I want to make sure I say them. Okay. Two big things. How should we respond to Romans 7? Number one, and, and, and by the way, all the commentators, no matter what view they end, they end up right here. The realization of the power of our sinful flesh waging war in our members should drive us to the gospel. Okay, If we had time to read verses 1 through 13, you would see that Paul talks about the law over and over and over again. And what he says over and over and over again is the law is not sufficient to make me holy. In other words, you need more than rules. Okay? Right? You need more than rules. You need more than, all right, I, I shouldn't steal and I shouldn't covet and I shouldn't commit adultery and I shouldn't lust and I, I should love God more than anything and there's all my rules and now I'm just going to try real hard to obey it. Yeah, you'll, you'll fail. You'll fail. You'll fail every day of the week. You'll blow it, okay? Because you don't have it in you, okay? You know what Paul said? No, nothing good dwells in me. That's in verse 18. I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. You, you don't have it in you to be the husband you ought to be. You don't have it in you to be the wife you ought to be. You don't have it in you to be the parent you ought to be. If you depend on yourself, you're going to blow it big and hurt people. What Paul's saying is, I need the gospel. Every day I need the gospel. Every day I, I need to depend upon Jesus' work on my behalf, His death on my behalf, submitting to His Spirit, looking to Him, putting Him first. I need 
a life that walks with Jesus hand in hand and stays close to Him. That's my only hope of defeating sin. I I think that's part of what Paul is saying in Romans 7 is how desperately he needs the gospel, how desperately he needs this vital union with Jesus Christ. And I think that's why he talks so much about the law. He doesn't say the law is bad. Actually, he talks about how the law is good. In verse 16, he says, Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. In other words, he said, there's nothing wrong with God telling me his standard. You know, God telling me his standard for marriage and for, for holiness and for purity and for truth and for integrity and for, you know, justice. That's all great. In fact, it's so good that whenever I break his law, I immediately affirm that it's good. Right? That's what he says in verse 16. How does that work out? Well, let me give you an example. So let's say you're, you're trying to be honest. You're trying not to lie. And then you find yourself in a situation at work where the pressure's on. If you tell the truth, you're going to get in trouble. And you break. The, the old unredeemed humanist comes out and it takes control of your tongue. And you give it control. You present your tongue to, to the old unredeemed. You buy the lie that, hey, you know, this will be better for me. It's okay just this once. And you lie. If you're a believer, what happens when you lie? Immediately you walk away with this settled sense of misery coming down on you, right? This conviction, this heavy hand of God. And immediately you affirm, you know what? God's law was right. It's right. That was dumb. Why'd I do that? What are you doing? You're affirming that the law is good. So the law is good, it just can't save you. Okay, so you desperately need the gospel. Now, second truth. And here's really the one I want to settle on. What Romans 7 teaches us is that because of our sinful flesh and because of the new self in us, you will always be in a spiritual battle. Okay? That will never end. Senior adults, you've been, some of you have been a Christian for 50 years, 60 years. And let me, let me tell you what is true of you. You are still in the spiritual battle. Okay? We never outgrow that. Do you outgrow it when you become a Sunday school teacher? No, you do not. Do you outgrow it when you become a deacon? No, you do not. Do you outgrow it when you become a small group leader? No, you do not. How about when you become a pastor? Pastor Daniel and Gary and I and Andrew would tell you, no, you don't. Okay? You are always in a spiritual battle. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says this. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive of the law of sin that dwells in my members. We are in a battle. Let me, let me tell you what John MacArthur said. He said, lingering sin does battle with every good thing a believer desires to do. Every good thought, every good intention, every good motive, every good word, every good deed. What's MacArthur saying? He said, man, everything you try to do good, sin is going to wage war against that. You're going to be under attack. Folks, that is the Christian life, okay? If you're not experiencing that, then you're not a Christian. There's no way around that, okay? If there's no battle inside of you for righteousness, if there's no conviction of sin, if there is no misery when you sin, if there's no angst inside of you battling against sin, I don't think you're in the battle. You, you ought to have that. It, it, that. That's what makes the war possible is the new spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit inside of you, the new nature. When that comes in, now there's conflict, okay? And, and here's the thing. I worry about people who don't appear, at least, to be in the battle. Should there be times when you are calling out to God for help 
Absolutely. Okay, so when, when, when we come over here to verse 24, and we're like, man, is that the Apostle Paul who's saying, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You bet it is. And that ought to be you sometimes, all right? That ought to be you who are saying, man, wretched lady am I. Who's going to deliver me? God, deliver me. Jesus Christ, you're my only hope. There ought to be that calling out to God, that calling on people to pray for you. I worry about folks, and, and I've told you this before, I worry about folks who are like, hey, nobody needs to pray for me. Everybody else got it worse than me. Pray, pray for other people. What are you saying there? You know what you're saying? You're saying, man, pray for Bonnie, because I can tell she needs help, you know? I mean, man, pray for, pray for Jeff. Man, we all know, man, he's, he, he got a problem with sin sometimes. Pray for that guy. Pray for Fred, man. You know, that guy needs prayer. Pray for all those other, but not me. Why? You're not in the battle? That's what you're saying, isn't it? Sin's not raging. Your unredeemed humanness is not flaring up. Man, I think we ought to be like Paul. Pray for me. Hey, pray for me. I'm praying for me. God, help me. Hey, would you others help me? You ought to go to your small group and say, hey, God, you know, I don't want to dominate the conversation or anything, but I could sure use prayer. I've really been struggling with patience with my family. I've really been struggling with anger in my job situation. I've really been struggling. You, you see, sometimes... Pastor Andrew mentioned this at the end of the first service after I got in. He said, you know, sometimes we, we act like to be a good Christian means you never struggle. The opposite is true. A good Christian is always struggling, okay? Not, not like struggling like I'm going to fall, but I'm hitting sin head on. Why? Because here's what I know. Pride is always surfacing. Selfishness always surfacing. Greed always surfacing. Exalt myself always surfacing. So what's a Christian got to be doing? I got to be hitting that constantly, right? What happens if I'm not hitting it? What happens if you go to watch the Super Bowl tonight and Broncos and the, I didn't even know who the Broncos were playing. I had to ask first service. Broncos and Panthers, right? They're, they get out there and the ball snapped and the Broncos, they just all sit down, you know? They're like, ah, just do what you want, you know? Go ahead. It's not going to be much of a game. If you're not taking some licks, if you're not in the battle, there's something wrong. Are, are, you, are you really telling me that pride doesn't surface in your life? Man, I'd love to meet you, for real. Like, pride never comes up. You know, you never, you never, even, you never come to church, and you don't feel this, hey, oh dear, you know, come on, man. You tell me you ne- you never, you're married, and you, selfishness never, hey, I deserve... Come on. Sin dwells within. So there's a battle. I worry about folks who don't desperately need the Scriptures. Man, I need the Scriptures. I I need them. I need them to fight. I'm in a battle. I worry about folks that are never broken and fatigued. I worry about folks that that have no accountability. They're like, I I don't want anybody knowing my business. What, What are you saying when you say, I don't want anybody knowing my business? I don't need anybody. That's what you're saying. I don't need anybody to help me. I don't need anybody to pray for me. I don't need to confess my sins to nobody. I'll handle this all on my own. All right, I got a, got a verse for you here. Where's that one at? Um, verse 18. I know that nothing good dwells in me, in my flesh. 
You can handle that all, on, all on your own? You're not. I worry about you if you're not battling. Some of you guys like history. So let's say uh, you zoom in and you, you, you're, you appear. Okay, you, you're there 10 minutes after the Americans finally secure the beach of Normandy. So we have put wave after wave after wave after wave of our soldiers onto that beach, onto that French beach to try to take that German stronghold. And you arrive 10 minutes after it's all over with. And you see two guys in particular. One, he comes kind of jogging up, kind of got a spring in his step. He's in his dress uniform. I mean, he's got that little sharp hat on, you know. Uh, no weapons on him. He's just springing up and he's clean. You know, there's not a spot of blood or mud or dirt on him. I mean, he just looks like he's ready for the, the, the military ball. And he comes up and he's perky. He's like, hey, what needs to be done here, you know. And then there's another guy, and he's, he's leaning over on the side of a Jeep, sitting on the ground, and he looks too exhausted to stand. The guy is covered with his own blood and the blood of other men. He's got mud clumps clogged up in his helmet. He's got one arm bandaged up. What do you say about those two guys? Do you look at the first guy and say, man, that is a model soldier right there, you know? I wish all of our guys were like that guy. You know, man, look at him. Man, he, he endured this thing without a scratch, without him getting dirty. And this other guy, he's a wreck. Now, I think probably what you say is, that guy wasn't in the battle, and that guy was, right? Now, again, don't exit. Please don't get on Facebook and, and put, I don't care if you talk on Facebook about the sermon, that's all cool, but just don't talk wrong things about the sermon, okay? Don't get on there and say, Pastor Jason said, you know, we all ought to be failing and struggling. No, that's not what I'm saying. You ought to be victorious, okay? We're going to end with that here in a minute. But here's what I am saying. You ought to be in the battle. You ought to be striving against sin. You ought to be fighting against your own sin. And if you're here this morning and you say, I have no sin, that, that's big problems there. Okay? You ought to know your sin and you ought to be fighting against it. Now, is, does this end on hope? It absolutely does. Okay? Look at verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who's, who's going to deliver us? Who's, who's going to deliver us from this body of death? He answered verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's victory in the spiritual battle. Here's the thing if you're a believer. You're going you're to take sin head on by the power of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of Jesus, and you're going to win. Isn't that awesome? How, how do I know that? Because if you're dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus and the gospel, you're going to win. You're, you're, you're going to defeat sin, and you're going you're to grow in your Christian life. Is it a one-time deal, by the way? No. But you're, you're going to defeat sin over and over and over again. And the rest of your life, you're going to battle. But you're going to battle with the power of Jesus. That's the spiritual battle. That's what we're up against. Let's pray together. Father, help us today. God, I pray that you would help us to be in the battle. God, help us to attack our sin, that unredeemed humanness. Father, we, we resonate with Paul's experience of the frustration of wanting desiring godliness and and yet 
stumbling and falling into sin. And Father, I pray that we would face that reality and that we would come armed with the gospel, we would come armed with the power of the Holy Spirit, we'd come armed with the word of God. And Father, that you would give us the victory in Jesus Christ, our Lord.